We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. The Bible is so helpful for us because it gives us a real picture of what life is actually like. There's tears, there's sorrow, there's suffering, there's brokenness. And God speaks into all of these terrible things that we walk through in a broken world. Not only does he speak to them, but he is with us in the midst of them, and he sees us. And so I've wanted to talk this morning about grief and the God who sees, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Except this morning, I, I feel a burden to not just talk about these ideas in a generic sense. All of us experience grief. We all experience loss. And loss is not just the loss of a loved one to death. Loss is much broader than that. Loss and grief are experienced in relationships when they sever. They're experienced when we lose a job. They're experienced when we have lost trust in a relationship. Maybe you've experienced abuse or trauma of some kind, and you've lost innocence, and you've lost the ability to trust those that were meant to care for you. Well, if we've experienced grief in any sense, which we all have, then I think this morning we can understand some of the things that are happening in our world right now. If you wonder why it is that we see protests, not just across our city, but across our nation and across the world, and if you wonder why these protests are not just peaceful protests, if you wonder why there is chaos that is a part of them, if you wonder why there is violence, if you wonder why there is looting and the damage of property, if you wonder why these things have gotten out of control, in some circumstances. The answer is complex. The answer is multifaceted. There's a number of things that go into what we're experiencing and seeing and witnessing right now. And we don't have time to get into half of them this morning. But one of the reasons is grief is loss, is not being seen and heard in the midst of that grief and that loss. Don't get me wrong, there are other things happening and there is no excuse for violence or stealing or damaging someone else's property. There's no reason for these things in terms of an acceptable reason. But this morning, as your pastor... I want you to see beyond the chaos. I want you to see beyond 
the things that we know aren't a right way to respond to something. And I want you to see some of the reason behind it. I want you to see the grieving hearts of people made in the image of God who have lost loved ones, who have lost the ability to trust those that they should be able to trust, who live their lives in constant fear and pain. I want you to see the grief. I want you to see the grieving. In other words, I want you to see those who are grieving right now. I want you to hear their cries, their cries for justice, their cries for change, their cries for someone to see them and hear them and care. Because that is what we are seeing in our world right now. We are seeing the cries of people who have not had their voices heard for decades and hundreds of years, even. We are seeing the cries of those who have lost loved ones, who have lost family, who have lost friends, who have lost more than maybe you and I will ever know. Maybe not, but I think we have to acknowledge that sometimes Our experiences are different. So this morning, I don't want to just address grief and the God who sees in a general way. I want you to see how the things that we see in this passage today about God apply to the very circumstances we are walking through right now. And I want it to spur you on to care because our God cares. Our God, he sees us when we grieve. He sees us when we experience loss. And he's present. He's with us. And and he's with us because he is able to do something about loss. Something that we're not able to do. Our God is present. He sees and he cares. And I want that to drive us to do the same. So that's where we're going this morning, is we're going to look at this story of a widow who has lost her only son, and we're going to see the God who sees us in the midst of loss and grief, and who cares enough to be present with us, and who has the power to do something about it. So turn with me to Luke chapter 7, and we'll read the passage, and I'm going to pray for us one more time before we dive into four different points that I want you to notice this morning about the God who sees. Starting in verse 11, here's what we read about this amazing, amazing story. And when I say story, I don't mean something fictional. I mean something that happened. I mean something that's true. And the best kind of story that you could tell, if you think about the stories that maybe you share from your own life that have been an encouragement or big highlight moments of your life when God did something amazing and you share it with somebody and you're testifying to the fact that God showed up and did something powerful, this is the kind of story I'm talking about when I say story this morning. So read with me in verse 11, and we're going to go down through verse 17. 
and read about the grief and the God who sees. Luke writes, soon afterward, he, talking about Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this morning we come to a passage in your word, a passage that so powerfully meets us where we are right now, a passage that has so much to teach us about who you are and how we live in light of that truth. And this, this morning, Lord, we come to you with grieving hearts. And maybe some of us aren't there yet. Maybe some of us are confused or frustrated. So God, I pray that you would use our time together to, to help us to see things as you see them. To help us to grieve loss like you do. To help us to care about those who weep and to weep with them. Lord, help us. God, God we do that now. We lament the things that we have seen take place, the, the division, the hostility, the, the loss of life, and, and really the, the decades and hundreds even of years where, where a group of people has not been seen and heard in the way that they should have been. And so God, we come to you this morning grieving for them and with them. And Lord, we also come to you this morning Grieving other things in life. Because right now we're in the midst of a pandemic. A lot of us have already experienced loss and grief in some significant ways before all of this kind of blew up. And so God, we, we know what it's like to grieve this morning. So let our hearts be encouraged by your presence with us today. Speak to our hearts. Help us to see yours through your word. That's in Jesus' mighty name we ask all these things. Amen. Well, I want you to see four things about grief and the God who sees this morning. And the first one is going to be seen in verse 13, just the first part of that verse. Uh, and it's simply this idea that the Lord sees us in our grief. And so look with me. We'll start in verse 11. I want to talk about a couple things here as we approach verse 13. 
It says, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain. This was a small town. This was a, 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 a no-name, no-significant, no-reason-to-be-there town. Maybe some of you grew up in a town like this. You grew up in a small town that when you tell people where you're from in any kind of big city like Louisville or anywhere else you go, they don't even know what town you're referring to because it was small. And to the rest of the world, it was insignificant. This is the kind of town that Jesus and his followers are entering into. This town that otherwise seems meaningless. It's small. It's insignificant. There's, there's really no reason that Jesus would need to, to, to go here. Except for what happens in this passage. Except for this grieving widow who's lost her only son. You see, Jesus, the Lord, our God, he sees us in the midst of our grief and he cares enough to go to this small little town called Nain and and take his disciples and this great crowd with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. This is the son we're talking about, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. Let me translate that for us a little bit. That means she was hopeless. And she was alone. Sure, there, were, there was this large crowd that was, that was there to, to kind of grieve and mourn alongside her. But in terms of the rest of her life, what was set before her, her future, she was hopeless and she was alone. You see, because in that day, to not have a husband, to not have a son, was to not have anyone to take care of you. Women in that day and age, they would not have been able to, to survive in this kind of state. It would have been hopeless. There would have been no way that she could have provided for herself and, and made things happen. She needed help and there was no help to be found. She had lost everything. She had lost her husband who knows how long it had been since that had happened, but really it doesn't matter if you've experienced the loss of a loved one. It doesn't matter how distant you are from it. Sure, you may not think about it all the time, but when you do, it still hurts. It's still just as painful. So she's lost her husband. Those of you who have a spouse this morning who are, are married, you... You probably, this is your worst fear. It's certainly mine. Something happened to Brittany, that would be the worst day of my life. And she has walked through this. And now, her only child was taken by death as well. This is a woman who has lost everything and who has no hope she is utterly alone in the world. And some of us have experienced this kind of loss and grief this morning. And I hope that when we see this woman's story and we begin to understand some of her pain as we think maybe about even some of our own grief and our own loss in life, I hope that helps us understand 
the community around us that's grieving right now. When we think about Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, these were sons and daughters of mothers and fathers. Some of them were brothers and sisters or, or close friends, cousins, family, real people. You see, to us, oftentimes, they're just a headline. But to somebody, they're somebody. And a whole community is 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 beginning to, to cry out about this grief and this loss. Grief and loss that should have never happened. You see, and that's the thing about death. It's not part of how God had originally set up the world to be. That's why it's so painful. The reason you and I experience such deep heartfelt emotion, the reason we're so devastated when we lose someone we love, when we experience grief, is because those emotions are telling us that something is not right in the world. Something is not the way that God intended it to be. You see, the scriptures testify throughout the Old and New Testaments that sin brings about death and that death is the result of sin. When we sinned against God, when humanity rebelled against his good will, his good plans and purposes for us, that brought death into our world. Grief was introduced then. And so when life is lost, we have this pain that sticks with us, this pain that reminds us that the current state of things, it's not how it's meant to be. So this morning, we, we understand what it's like to grieve as individuals, and I hope in increasing ways as a community. I hope as Christians that we understand this more than anyone else because we know God. We know how good he is and the way in which he created things to be and so we should know just how devastating it is when things are not as he intended them to be. We're commanded in Scripture to weep with those who weep. But it shouldn't be a command that we begrudgingly kind of try to obey. It should be something that is just stirred up in us because of the God that we know. It should come as second nature for us, weeping with those who weep. Because we know the God who grieves and weeps over his creation. You see, the beautiful part of this passage, though, is not just 
that we begin to understand some profound things about grief and loss and pain, but it's that God shows up in the midst of it. This considerable crowd from the town was with her, and in verse 13 we read, And when the Lord saw her, if you write in your Bible, circle that. That's a big deal. The God who created all things, who created life itself, has stepped into creation, and he has looked on this grieving widow who just lost her only son. He sees her, though no one else probably actually does. Have you had this experience with grief? You know, the the reason grief is so devastating is it's so isolating, Sure, you have friends and family and loved ones who show up for the funeral. But I mean, that's just kind of an expected thing, right? They show up because it's expected. It's, it's part of the relational obligations. So they show up for the funeral. But then, then they move on. Life moves on for them, but for you... It's like it's standing still because the grief doesn't end at the funeral for you. It's only begun. And that experience of continuing to live with that pain and that loss when the whole world seems to move on and forget, man, it's devastating. It's heartbreaking. It's a constant constant thorn in your side. You constantly feel it. And it feels so isolating. You feel so alone because the rest of the world has seemed to move on and forgot and has forgotten. But you remember. You see, and, and if you understand that with your personal losses in life, then it can give you a glimpse into what the African-American community is experiencing and has been experiencing for hundreds of years. The loss they've experienced, it's not just over for them. It continues to stick with them, to pester them. It continues to be a, a thorn in their side. They feel that pain constantly. And what we see in our world right now is is an explosion of that pain. We see an explosion of grief and loss. We see it playing out in a variety of ways, powerful ways, significant ways, ways that are meant to get people to stop and listen. Have you ever been, if you've ever grieved a significant loss, then you know that one of the most helpful things that someone can do is just to listen. Because what listening does is it lets you know that you're seen. Somebody hears you. They hear your pain. They care enough to sit with you and listen to you. Tell them about it. This is one of the most helpful things we can do when someone we care about is grieving, when anyone's grieving, is to listen. 
whether that's on an individual level with, with people that we care about or whether it's to listen to grieving communities around our world right now. The most helpful thing that we can do and the place to start is to listen. Not to listen to fix it. Not to listen because we think we have all the answers, but to actually listen to those who are grieving. This is what it means to see someone in the midst of their pain. This is where that starts, that kind of ministry starts. This is what we see Jesus do here. He, he sees this woman. He, he really sees her. He knows her pain. See, because here's the next thing that we realize about grief is that not only does the Lord see us in our grief, but the Lord feels our grief with us. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. That word compassion is, is really, really profound. And so I just want to pause and, and talk about it for a moment. When, when, we, when we think about it in English, there's, there's two parts of that word. There's the calm and the passion. And, and, and calm, th- these three letters, they mean with, to be alongside someone, to be alongside something. And passion, well, we know what passion is. It's, it's strong feeling. And so when, when the scriptures say that the Lord had compassion on her, it means that the God who created the universe feels her pain with her. He feels the depths of it. He feels it alongside her. He's with her in the midst of her pain. It's not just that he sees it and acknowledges it. It's that it grieves his heart as well. The Lord grieves with us, friends. He sees our pain and he feels it too. In the original language, this this word compassion, it it has this idea of like getting down to a gut level, to, to the bowels. I mean, it, it's like you feel the pain in such a way that it makes you sick. You ever felt that kind of pain? You ever seen something so horrific, so tragic, that it just makes you sick to your stomach? It's, it's so painful emotionally that it affects you on a physical level. Maybe some of you feel that when you watch the news right now. We probably should. It's the the kind of deep-rooted feeling and pain that causes you to just feel sick because something's not right. And Jesus, he steps into our world and he not only sees us, he feels this deeply with us, alongside of us. And so whether you're experiencing a personal loss in your life right now or whether you're in the midst of this community in a minority that has not had their voice heard and you feel like you've not been seen, friends, The Lord sees you this morning. The Lord hears your cries this morning. The Lord feels your pain with you and he feels it deeply just like you do. 
even more so because he knows even more how devastating it is because he created all things, including you and I. And so we see some beautiful, powerful things in this passage, and we're not even to the end of it yet. We just see in these few words that God sees us in our grief, and God feels our grief with us. And thirdly, we see that the Lord can actually do something about our grief. He can do something about our losses because he is the Lord, because of who he is. He says to her at the end of verse 13, do not weep. Those are probably the least compassionate words that you could say to someone who has lost someone, is don't cry. Unless you actually have the power to change it. Unless you have the power to do something about death itself which you and I, we don't have. So the worst thing that we can say to someone who's grieving is is don't cry. But sadly, that don't cry type language comes out all the time. Sometimes I think it's because we're we're confused and, and we just don't really know what to say to someone who's grieving. And so we just try and say something. You know what I'm talking about? We just, I mean, like, we feel like we have to say something, and so we try. But we just fail miserably. We just, we have this really incredible talent of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. We say versions of don't cry to individuals, to communities. To our community right now, some of us might think, why are you crying? I mean, can't you look at, at, at how much progress has been made? Don't you see how much better things have gotten since slavery in the antebellum South? Don't you see how, how much better things have gotten? Or, or why are you crying? We all have equal rights. We all have the same opportunities. Why are you crying? You see, those kinds of words, they come out when we don't see as God sees. When we don't hear the cries of the broken. When we don't actually listen. We say these things on an individual, personal level in ways too. I mean, and some of these that I'll throw out, you're like, there's no way someone said that to a grieving person, but... I'm telling them to you because I've heard them said and I've read stories about, you know, and grief counseling books about them being said and I've seen it with my own eyes. I mean, we say some of the, the most wrong things because we feel like we have to say something. But friends, what we ought to see is that we need to start with listening and then we speak words of hope. I hear things like, you're going to be fine. Or everything's going to be okay. And sure, sometimes in the right, at the right time, the right context, that can be an encouraging word to someone who, who feels hopelessness. But we often say it at the beginning of grief, when they've just lost someone. We often say it at the funeral. 
And what that person, hear, uh, what that person <laughs> hears is, is not that things are going to be okay one day. They hear that you don't see their pain. That you don't hear their cries. That it's, that it's not significant enough for things to not be okay. Or we say things like, I know exactly how you feel. When we don't, we're not that person. We may have experienced something similar in life, but, but we don't know exactly how they feel in this moment. We say things to grieving mothers and fathers like, you can have more kids someday. Or, I know God's going to give you another child. We don't know that. We may hope that for them, but one, we don't know it, and two, it doesn't help because they're never going to have that child again. They're never going to have that spouse again. They're never going to have that friend again. We say things like, you're young, you'll get married again someday. Or we say things like, well, you know, at, at least they didn't suffer. We know where they are. And someday we'll see so-and-so again. Don't cry, they're with Jesus. This is all part of God's plan. You see, the problems with some of the things that we say to grieving people are not even necessarily that, that there's not, fu- it's not that there's not future hope. It's not that it's not all a part of God's grand redemptive plans for the world. It's not that we won't see them again one day. It's that our words don't acknowledge what has gone wrong in the moment. Instead, they they try and shove it aside and they try to get to something that's not yet here. We ought to be aware that something is coming one day, that that God is going to do something one day in an ultimate and final sense and, and we won't have to shed tears anymore. In fact, our tears will be wiped away. We ought to have that future hope. But in the midst of grief and loss right now, these are not the things that we say. Instead, we, we listen. We say things like, I'm so sorry. And we shed tears with them. And we enter into the pain. And we say, I know things aren't okay right now. And it's, it's okay to cry. It's okay to grieve. You know, oftentimes grieving people, they feel like they have to perform for those of us who are around them. And the most freeing thing that we can do is tell them that we're grieving with them and they don't have to do that. That we see them, we hear their cries, and we cry with them. You see, and and that's the kind of God that has shown up in the person of Christ. You see, Jesus is someone who is acquainted with grief. We read in Isaiah 
that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That word acquainted, it means that we know something on a personal level. Jesus knows grief personally. And then we read, I mean, just the, most, the, most, the easiest, most famous verse to memorize in the Bible. What is it? Jesus wept. It's two words. It's so easy to remember. But there's such profound truth in it. The fact is, is that the God who created all things, he enters into our experience. He experiences it with us. And even though in that story he was about to raise his friend from the grave, he was still grieved by the presence of death in the moment. And he shed tears for his friend. Jesus wept. Man, I don't even know if there are two more powerful, hope-giving words for the grieving this morning than Jesus wept. That God weeps with us alongside of us like we've said. And then now we talk about how God can do something with our grief. He can do something about death itself. Now we look at what God is going to do. Look with me at 14 and 15. He says, do not weep to this woman. And he doesn't say it like you and I say it, not having the power to actually do something about it. But instead, he says it because he's about to do something right now. It says, then he came up and touched the beer, and the bearer stood still. The beer was, was this uh, flat, like, casket-like thing, except it wasn't a, a box that you put somebody in. It was something you laid the body on top of. And so they would carry it outside the city with this group of mourners, and they would carry it to a cave or whatever its final resting place would be. And you saw death. You saw it right before your eyes. You see, in our culture, we try to ignore it. We try to ignore death, grief, loss. We try to, we try to shove it aside and, and act like it's not really present. I mean, churches, church buildings used to have graveyards like where you would have to walk through and past all the loved ones who had passed away to get in through the doors of the church. But now we put them off in, in different places because we can't deal with grief. In our culture, we're really bad at it. We're really bad at facing suffering, at facing death, at facing loss. And so we try and put it in different places where, where it's not in constant sight, where we don't see it regularly. And we try and ignore it and, and move on past it. But the only thing that you can do with grief and loss in life is move forward. You can't move on from it as though it doesn't exist you have to move forward acknowledging that it does. Anyways, I'm getting on a tangent. Jesus, he comes up and he touches this platform on which this body is being carried. And, and, and you couldn't do that if you weren't one of the bearers, one of those carrying it. This would have made you unclean. You can't touch death. Death was associated with sin and separation from God. And yet Jesus touches the unclean. We've seen him do this already. And yet again, here he does it. He touches what should make him unclean. And instead, we see a different result in verse 14 and 15. He says to the young man, Young man, I say to you, arise. 
And you have to imagine if you were standing there watching this play out that you would have thought, that's ridiculous. You just told this grieving woman not to weep and then you, you so callously went and you touched her, her son's beard and you said, get up, as though he was taking a nap. How callous this would have seemed, how cruel it would have seemed. And then there's verse 15. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And all of a sudden, you're shocked and confused because you've seen the impossible happen right in front of your eyes. You've witnessed a miracle. Miracles are by definition rare and not normal. That's why we don't see them all the time. They are by definition abnormal and rare. They're by definition something that's not typically supposed to happen. And Jesus, he comes up and touches the uncleanness and he says to the man, he speaks to him, he says, get up. And then look at, look at how verse 15 ends. And Jesus gave him to his mother. You see, the reason that Jesus says, do not weep to this woman is because he's about to wipe her tears away. He's about to restore to her what was lost. He's about to give her hope again. He's about to give her son back to her. He just robbed the grave because he saw this woman and cared about her. And he, he hands her son back to her. And, and you gotta imagine that probably now she's, she's, she's not obeying Jesus and not weeping. She's probably weeping with tears of joy. Because how could you not? If Jesus just handed the person you lost back to you. You see, and, and we might say this morning, but Pastor Grant, that's not what's happened for me. Jesus hasn't done this miraculous thing where he's just handed my loved one back to me. And you're right. You see, when we see things like this happen in the Gospels, when we see Luke and Matthew and Mark and John write about these amazing, miraculous works that Jesus does and healing the sick and raising the dead and giving eyes to the blind and ears to the deaf, when we see him doing these kinds of things, we're not seeing the normal. We're seeing something that's abnormal, it's rare. It doesn't happen often. Does God still do miracles? Absolutely. Should we pray for miracles? Absolutely. Does God always do the miraculous? No. Why? I don't know. God's not revealed that to us. It's not for us to know. But the miracles that we do see in the scriptures and when God answers prayer even today, they're meant to be previews of something that God is going to do for us all. You know, we're, we're probably not real familiar with previews right now. When was the last time you actually watched a preview? I know none of you have been to the movie theaters. So it's probably been a while because what we do at home is we try and skip all the previews, right? We try and skip all the commercials and, and things. If we can, I mean, we hate commercials. 
I hate commercials. I don't know. Maybe you're the one person who actually likes commercials, you know, and you can explain that to me later. But this idea of a preview, it shows us something good that's to come. It shows us something to expect and to wait for and to be excited about. And that's what stories like this in the Gospels are for us. They are previews of the miraculous work that Jesus is going to do at his second coming when he returns once again and he wipes every tear from our eyes. In Revelation 21, we read about it where John writes this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's a beautiful sight. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus is saying, you can bank on this. You can know that I'm coming to do this. You can know that one day I'm going to wipe those tears away. So friends, as Christians, we have real hope to offer. Real hope to offer to the grieving. Real hope to speak into our own grief and loss. And real hope to speak into grieving communities around us who have felt for years that they've not been heard or seen in their pain. Because one day the King of Kings is returning and this established yet not fully completed and consummated kingdom that he's promised to bring is going to be here and tears will be no more, death will be eliminated, and pain itself will be non-existent. Jesus has the power to do something about what we've lost. Jesus has the power to restore what was lost. Jesus has the power to reconcile us to God and to reconcile us to one another. This is the beautiful truth of the gospel that God has this amazing reconciling power that when sin separates us from himself and from each other, he has the power to change that. He has the power to do something about it, and he's promised to do so. And so, in the meantime, we live in light of one truth. That's the final thing that we see about grief and the God who sees us. Is that the Lord is God with us in our grief. Verse 16, fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his 
people. In that day, they didn't even know the truth of the words they'd just spoken. They said, this is a prophet. This is a man who's come to speak from God. And they say, because this man has come to speak from God, God has visited his people. But what they didn't realize fully at the time was that it wasn't just a man come from God to speak for God. It was God himself come to be with his people. That God himself had visited them. That word visited can also mean to care for. You see, the way that God cares for us, grieving Christians, grieving people, the way that God cares for us and sees us in our grief, it's his presence. It's his presence with us that God is with us. So that's the truth we live in light of, friends. That's the truth we carry out into our hurting communities today. Is that in the person and work of Jesus Christ, God has come to be with his people. And you can know this God and the great love that he has for us by turning from sin and trusting in him with your life and with death. Because he has the power to do something about our grief, something the power to do something about our loss and our pain. And he's promised, just as surely as he's been risen from the grave himself, that he will resurrect us as we trust in him and that he will restore to us what has been lost. Sons will be handed back to their mothers. Spouses reunited, friends reunited. Death will be no more and neither will pain and he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. And we know this is true because he's with us now. Let's pray. God, we are humbled before you this morning. When we look at life, we may see a number of incredibly great and big problems but God, let us not forget to see you because you're bigger than all of it. And your presence with us, it changes everything. God, help us to be compassionate like you are compassionate. Help us to see the hurting and to sit with them and listen. God, speak to us in the midst of our grief and our loss. Remind us of your promises. Remind us of your presence with us and the power that accompanies that. God, we are not hopeless because we have our hope in you. So God, remind us of these things and, and let this, the truths from this morning drive us out from this place, not just as, as people on mission sharing the gospel, but people driven by love as we do it. Because it's your love for us that caused you to come to us, to be with us, to shed tears with us, to feel our pain with us. And it's your love for us that, that has caused you 
to begin to wipe our tears away and one day that they'll be wiped away fully and you will restore that which has been lost. And so God, in the midst of our grief, we look to you and you alone for you are the God who sees. It's in Jesus' mighty, beautiful, majestic, and redemptive name we pray. Amen.
It's always, I even like write lists and it's just never. So anyways, so we have the Skinner family. Uh, well, younger Skinner family, I guess. <laughs> we have multiple Skinners, so they're all related. But uh, <laughs> today I have uh, Andrew, Mandy, Hadley, and Dalton joining me. And so if y'all want to stand over on this side. And so, uh, can you guys tell us what church you're transferring membership from this morning? Beach Haven Baptist from Athens, Georgia. All right, Beach Haven Baptist, Athens, Georgia. So, the Skinners are coming to join our church this morning. Uh, we believe that church membership is a way that we uh, just kind of visibly identify those who have committed to follow Jesus with us and alongside us in this community of faith here in this local context. Uh, and so we're a family here, uh, and they're joining the family today. And in a lot of ways, they've already been part of the family, you know. Uh, Andrew technically is still a member uh, from beforehand, uh, so he's not actually joining today. But, <laughs> but Mandy and Hadley are transferring membership uh, from their previous church. And so uh, if you're here today and you're a member of JBC and you would like to welcome them to the family by voting them into membership, would you just raise your hand and say aye? Aye. All right. Any opposed? All right, good. You didn't even have a joking no. That's awesome, you know? So, well, welcome to the family, guys. Normally I would have you shake people's hands, uh, but maybe you can just wave and smile from afar. So <laughs> it's good to have you with us. Um, you guys can head down now. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have, am I dismissing people or are you? All right. I'm going to head back to the back now because you're done with me now. So. 